from the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. In his first major speech at the State Department today, the president said he'll work to rebuild alliances around the world that he says were neglected and abused by the previous administration. America is back. America is back. Diplomacy is back at the center of our foreign policy. America cannot afford to be absent any longer on the world stage. America is back? Well, what about Afghanistan? Ukraine and Russia? The China Olympics and China's continued rise as the biggest adversary to America? Let's cut to the chase. If American foreign policy is back, according to President Biden, I really hate to see what it looks like if President Biden admits it's in decline. Now, it's safe to say that having a strategy and sticking to it is a great idea in most situations. It's even better if that strategy is one that benefits us in the end, not harms us or our allies. Given all the episodes we've done on the three major foreign policy failures thus far in the Biden administration, which we just mentioned above, we wanted to give President Biden and his State Department a chance to get it right. To do this, let's look to the Atlantic region and develop a strategy for how we can build new alliances and bolster existing ones in a comprehensive way that strengthens us against Russia and China. But what would this look like? What even is the Atlantic region? This administration doesn't have the, uh, the the capacity, the bandwidth, or even the desire mm. to look at these big, grand strategic initiatives like the Atlantic strategy because they're so focused on just dealing with the foreign cri- policy crises that they're in, right. like Ukraine. Yeah, or, that they created. <laughs> yeah, or, um, the, you know, this perpetual... A daily drumbeat of political drama that unplays across America every single day, especially as we approach, you know, midterm elections and, you know, the next presidential election. On this episode of Heritage Explains, we're joined by Luke Coffey. He's the director of the Allison Center for National Security here at the Heritage Foundation. He's going to tell us why, in the face of all the foreign policy challenges we're seeing under the Biden administration, it's crucial that we don't neglect our own backyard and what developing a comprehensive Atlantic strategy would mean for our national and economic security. But first, we're going to try something different here on Explains. Our good friends Brad Palumbo and Hannah Cox have expanded their reach to a great new podcast called Based Politics. We wanted to give them a chance to introduce themselves to you, and maybe you'll go check it out. So take it away, guys. Hey, everybody. I'm Hannah Cox. And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're the host of the Based Politics Network, and we want you to join us for our weekly news roundup, The Based Brief. We believe in teaching people how to think not what to think. So if you're tired of getting your news from overtly partisan journalists, this show is for you. 
We have no tribe, we pull no punches, and the only team we root for is the free market and individual liberty. On top of that, we're two good friends who both work as libertarian conservative commentators, but we don't always agree. On The Base Brief, we let you in on the conversations we're already having as we work to analyze the impact of public policies, spill the industry tea, and hash out our hot takes. Plus, you'll get bonus interviews with top liberty lawmakers and influencers like Senator Rand Paul, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee Spike Cohen. Search Based Politics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now. That's B-A-S-E-D politics. We can't wait to catch up with you. And in the meantime, stay based. The U.S. cannot neglect its backyard. It is time for an Atlantic strategy. Luke Coffey, this is a really, really important paper, and I wanted to get you in here. So, so again, th- just as we start, thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. And and so as we start in here, and, and we, we talked a little bit about it in the lead up to the interview here, but I just wanted you to tell us what constitutes the Atlantic region. Yes, well, the Atlantic region is a massive uh, chunk of the Earth. The Atlantic Ocean is 48 million square miles. <laughs> it goes from basically the Arctic uh, down to almost Antarctica. And there are about 80 or so countries uh, on um, either side of the Atlantic, whether it's North America, Europe, Latin America, South America, or Africa, that have uh, Atlantic coastline. Okay. So it's a massive geographical area. And it's an area where, um, even though it's so close to home in so many different ways, there's been no coordinated U.S. response to deal with many of the challenges we face in the region or how to take advantage of many of the opportunities we could have in the region, especially in this era of great power competition. Okay, so let me let me just, before we get in a little bit more, I wanted to just stick with why the region is so important? Is it just because it's close? What is it economic? What what is what is what stands out for you as terms of why this is yes. important for us? Well, at the Heritage Foundation, I'm the director of the Foreign Policy Center. So I manage a team of experts who focus on most of the world's regions. Yep. My personal background and interest is more in Eurasia, Russia, Eastern Europe, uh, the Caucasus, thousands of miles away from from home. Okay. Uh, that's my main passion. But as uh, you know, as I look at the rise of great powers and I see what is going on with uh, Chinese influence, Russian influence, even Iranian influence or the rise in empowerment of non-state actors and transnational crime organizations, hmm. I thought, you know, Americans were always looking like thousands of miles away. Why don't we look a little bit closer to home to see what's going on? And I think part of that reason is that Part of the reason why we don't do this is because, for the most part, we have a, a relatively comfortable status quo yeah. in, in this neck of the woods. But this is changing, and unless we are more proactive, we are going to lose out on influence and economic opportunities and and the diplomatic relations uh, to mm-hmm. many of these countries in the region because of uh, the growing Chinese influence sure. and Russian influence. And, and, and we're definitely going to dive into those. And, and you talk about um, in the paper, which we'll link to in the show notes, folks, uh, you know, differentiating between you know, short-term and long-term goals. Um, but first, I, I wanted to get into some of the, the challenges that we face in the region. It's vast, as you said. And I'm not sure people fully understand some of the incredible threats that 
currently exist and we uh, need to be prepared to face? Yeah, I think the challenges and threats that we face in the Atlantic region can be divided into two parts. Okay. You have issues that I describe in the paper as being north of the Tropic of Cancer. So this is the North Atlantic area. This is the area where you typically think about NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Yeah. This is where you think about Russian submarines and Russian influence and uh, Russia militarizing the Arctic. But then you also see these important shipping lanes in the Arctic region developing, the uh, more um, accessibility to natural resources and r rare earth minerals in the mm. Arctic that different powers are starting to compete over. Uh, so this is th – there's an economic component, but in the – North Atlantic, it's more of a hard security component dealing with Russia. Hmm. In south of the Tropic of Cancer, the, the southern Atlantic, uh, especially along the coasts of uh, South America, the islands of the Caribbean, and also um, – the, the west coast of Africa, you have growing Chinese influence, hmm. trying to, uh, you know, um, monopolize on regional trade blocks, uh, exploiting uh, the local situation to extract um, minerals and natural resources, ultimately at the cost of the, uh, the, the, the nation in question. Yeah, they show up to these nations and, and they say, we're going to dump all this money into you and and then all the while they're planting you know 5g towers that they can monitor and surveil and, exactly you know, things like exactly that. Not, not only and uh, the nations are like sure please give us your money give well, us your money well actually it's the it's the the often the corrupt elites uh, that that China is dumping all this money in because a lot of these countries have governance issues and that's one of the challenges for the United States if they can help in a very long term way in a very gradual way to help these countries perhaps get better systems of governance where people feel like they're they're governed fairly and well by their political elites then these countries become less susceptible to chinese influence but right now you're absolutely right china will go in tell the the corrupt political elites we'll pay you hmm. you give us access and we'll build the free 5g tower so we can essentially listen to everything your government's deciding to do. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But, you know, until the U.S. and our partners uh, present a, a credible alternative to sure. this, then th many of these very poor countries, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, feel um, like they have no choice. And as I've traveled around to many developing countries, um, be, even beyond uh, the region, uh, we're discussing you you hear that all the time we we want us investment but you know here's china knocking at the door here's russia here's here are all these other options that we need to you know we need to take and of course they don't need to but they do they do yes <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah well let me let me uh, let's let's just kind of get ahead of the situation and develop the strategy that that you talk about what does this a strategy uh, for developing uh, this region look like? We need to do a number of things. Okay. Firstly, we need to change our mindset in the U.S. government, especially um, in our foreign policy and uh, national security architecture and how we view this region, hmm. right? Right now, you have different bureaus in the State Department. You have different combatant commands in, uh, in, the, in the Department of Defense. You have different uh, offices in the National Security Council, all focusing on certain chunks of this vast region hmm. without any overlapping coordination. Oh, okay. So perhaps what is what what the DOD is doing in sub-Saharan Africa isn't matched up with what uh, Southcom is doing uh, in in the along the uh, eastern coastline of Latin America, for okay. example. Hmm. And we need to start seeing how 
these regions are starting to become more interdependent in terms of trade and economic activity. Yeah. And we need to um, expand many of our free trade agreements, expand the promotion of economic freedom mm. in this uh, region of the world. And we need to do a better job at finding um, key partners in the region and mm. who can be champions for this cause of an Atlantic strategy like we have in the Indo-Pacific. Right. With the, Some of your listeners might have heard of the Quad yeah. in the past. The Quad is uh, this informal grouping of Australia, Japan, the United States, and India focusing on the Indo-Pacific and security and economic activity in the Indo-Pacific. Even though it's not often mentioned publicly, the main reason is China. Right. Uh, and, and we need to find kind of that equivalent in the Atlantic region where the U.S. can can lead an effort to roll back some of the influence that China and Russia has had in the region. Now, you, you say U.S. can lead this effort. And, and my question goes to because it is such a just a vast region, it's so many different uh, issues between countries and from the north, the Tropic of Cancer, south of Tropic of Cancer. Would they all agree that some of these threats uh, from China, from Russia, would they all agree on um, th that we need a coordinating body, that we need this sort of quad-like alliance? No, they wouldn't. <laughs> and that's okay. why the U.S. has to find the ones, the, the, the regional powers that share our vision okay. for a free and open, stable, secure, prosperous Atlantic region. Hmm. And the problem, you know, it, technically speaking, uh, you know, Portugal and, and Spain are – um, Atlantic countries, hmm. but the you know the, we don't those issues in Portugal and Spain are a lot different compared to Angola huh. or yeah. or Argentina, for example. Yeah. Uh, so we have to recognize that you know it's not a homogenous region; it's a very diverse region. We have to be more nuanced and sophisticated with how we deal with the different challenges and opportunities. We need to find like-minded countries in the region who can assist us with this. And we need to acknowledge that we're, we're not always going to offer a better deal for some of these countries than China will. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the people of some of these countries would like that deal with the United States. But like I said, the political elites in some of these corrupt countries are quite happy to have that deal with Beijing. So that's why the U.S. then has to find ways to mitigate any negative impact on U.S. interests in the region from certain countries being closer to China. It's not that they have to become our adversary or our enemy. Quite the contrary. Right. We should find ways where we can cooperate with some of these countries, but do so with our eyes open, understanding that they will n probably never see things eye to eye with the United States on our vision for the region. What does, and, and, and um, I know that, uh, you know, we can compare, you know, what the Trump, I know you mentioned that the Trump administration had started developing a strategy, but I don't think that that's continued under Biden. No, it hasn't. Okay. So no. my question would be, um, is there a willingness in the State Department to, to pick this back up or is there a reason why they haven't pursued this? Yes, the, this this idea of developing an Atlantic strategy uh, was discussed in the final weeks almost of the of the Trump administration. And we actually published our, our first uh, paper on the issue at that time to try to inform the debate and uh, inform the policymakers. Unfortunately, when the Biden administration came in, this fell off the agenda. Hmm. And I'm starting to hear rumors again that some uh, officials are thinking about this approach, especially when you look at it through the lens of great power competition with the rise of China and yeah. Russia. It just makes sense. But I do believe that this administration has very little bandwidth 
for foreign policy issues. Hmm. They've shown that they want to be focused on domestic policy issues, implementing a domestic agenda. And when we saw what the the disaster in Afghanistan, you know, the indecisiveness, the the dithering, the uh, the the uh, defeat of the of the U.S. in Afghanistan. Yeah. This has emboldened our adversaries, and it's made many of our partners question U.S. resolve. Even, even in Ukraine, too. Yeah, I mean, Ukraine is a perfect this. example of this. Sure. The, the, the road that led us to this crisis in Ukraine first passed through Kabul. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind about that. So this administration doesn't have the uh, the, the capacity, the bandwidth, or even the desire mm. to look at these big, grand strategic initiatives like the Atlantic strategy because they're so focused on just dealing with the foreign cri- policy crises that they're in, right. like Ukraine. Yeah, or, that they created. <laughs> yeah, or, um, the, you know, this perpetual... A daily drumbeat of political drama that unplays across America every single day, especially as we approach, you know, midterm elections and, you know, the next presidential election. So I'm not hopeful that there'll be some grand initiative from the White House on this. I am hopeful that there's enough interest by some officials, Mm. you know, at the professional technical level that has an interest in this. So if there is a change of administration, uh, then there can perhaps be a renewed focus on this issue. So let's say a change of administration comes in. What would be the next best step as a new administration comes in to pursue this? Is it just acknowledging that we need this? Acknowledgement yeah, would be okay. a great place to start. And developing a written strategy. I mean, you know, this yeah. the Biden administration had a gender strategy out in like, you know, weeks. And, <laughs> and we still don't have a national security strategy. Wow. Um, so it would be nice to have a... A, 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 a specific document that can serve as a basis for policymakers to uh, work from. And just a framework document it doesn't even have to be that detailed. Just give the tasks to the different departments of government to enact a, a sound, reasonable Atlantic strategy. It's just, it's just, Luke, it just is amazing to me that this doesn't exist already. It's well, such no, a it, massive, it doesn't. Uh, it's such a massive span of territory and we don't have a strategy. I mean, this is, this, this just seems crazy. Well, to right me. now we have about five different approaches. We have, yeah. you know, an African approach or strategy. We have a Latin America uh, approach. We have an Arctic strategy. We have, you know, a uh, European approach. We have a North America. So w- we haven't joined them up. We, we, there's a lot of good stuff that's already out there the U.S. is doing. There are a lot of things we should improve on. We need to find a way to join this together. Well, Luke, I I really, really appreciate you covering this, coming in and um, laying it out for us. This is something that we don't know much about because we're not dealing with it. And like you said, uh, the president isn't traveling and going to the Situation Room is not going to the actual country, going and seeing and being a part of and experiencing. And so your call is definitely heard. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you for coming in and clearing it up. Oh, thanks for having me on. Providing actual solutions to pave the way to future success for the United States of America. Not just being critical. See, that's why I love working at the Heritage Foundation. Just a special thanks to Luke Coffey for being with us on this episode to lay out this strategy. Go ahead and log into the show notes if you want to read more detail on it because it is expansive. Also, thank you so much for your response to Mike's book that we promoted on the last episode on BLM. We love it. 
Now, we've made an exception. We have a few more books laying around, so if you want a free copy, it's not too late. Email us at managingeditor@heritage.org, rate us five stars, and leave us a comment, and we'll send you a copy. We'll catch you next episode. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.